You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shiest Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about the value of dynasties in sports. What's up, folks? It has been a minute since I've stepped into the studio, but I'm back. And if you're here and you're listening, thank you so much for sticking with it. I'm going with the new music today because it's not football season but i'm talking sports and i like this background music so it seemed like a good opportunity to stick with it but i digress um this episode is brought to you by magruder sleep jackets do you wake up with neck and shoulder pain do you not quite know what to do with your arms in bed well magruder sleep jackets could be just the thing you're looking for Engineered with the finest institutional-grade stitching, these jackets offer maximum restriction and minimal movement. The patented wrap-and-lock design comes with a bite-and-pull strap so you can comfortably fasten yourself in or release if you don't have a partner. Magruder sleep jackets come in a variety of materials including standard heavyweight cotton for you extra thrashy sleepers, satin for those who want minimal restriction and maximum comfort, flannel for those cold nights, or the all-new faux leather if you're feeling frisky. Now, you may be thinking, sleeping in a straight jacket sounds crazy. At Magruder Sleep Jackets, they believe waking up unrested every day for the rest of your life is crazy. You've never experienced the kind of quality, worry-free sleep you get from a Magruder Sleep Jacket, so what more are you waiting for? Head over to MagruderSleepJackets.com and use the promo code SHISTSLEEPS and try a Magruder Sleep Jacket today to experience the best damn sleep of your life. Both the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals ended a few weeks ago. And in preparation for both of those finals, I ended up having a conversation with uh, my friend Jeff over at the Let It Ride podcast. And he suggested that dynasties are bad. And I say the opposite. Dynasties are good. And I'm going to tell you why. So let's get into it um i understand where he's coming from saying that uh basically a dynasty is good for like three percent of the fan base because you're really not gonna see a lot of teams win and so one group of fans is gonna be really happy uh for an extended period of time and everybody else is gonna be miserable and i don't agree with that because i don't Number one, I don't only watch sports uh, to see my team win. You know, it's great when they do. Sports are better when my team is winning. They're way better. Um, But as someone who doesn't, like, my basketball team doesn't even exist anymore. So when I'm watching basketball, I don't really have a team. I just watch, and I enjoy basketball. So I know for a fact that it doesn't really matter whether or not my team is... uh, 
winning to whether or not I enjoy the sport. Yes, it does contribute, but it's not the end-all be-all of uh, why I enjoy sports competition. So strike that from the table. But since we're on the subject of basketball to start, uh, let's just take a look at that most recent NBA Finals uh, between the Warriors and the Celtics uh, that Golden State won in six games after being down uh, 2-1 in that series. It is the one, two, three, fourth championship for the Warriors uh, under Steve Kerr in eight years. Um, and they reached the finals uh, an additional two years in that eight and lost to uh, Cleveland in 16 and Toronto in 19. Um, so what you're looking at is uh, sort of, you know, it's happened time and time again in basketball, but you're looking at an extended period of excellence from one team. And so obviously this is going to make the Golden State fans very happy because they're literally competing for a championship, you know, every, every season. Uh, every season that they're healthy, I should say, at least. Um, and I understand not enjoying seeing the same team win all the time. That's something that's going to come up again later as we uh, talk about a different sport. But what the Warriors have done is they've shown that there is a brand of basketball that they play that is superior to all of the other basketball philosophies that are currently in the market. And despite the league changing its identity in terms of superstars, in terms of how the game is officiated and all those things, what the Warriors do is they play good basketball, and that's why they win. There's a lot of teams out there that have uh, talent, that have star power, that uh, can score, that have uh, like brand recognition, I would say, but nobody's doing what the Warriors are doing, and I think even this most recent year is more telling uh, than their other championships because they did it when they were older. Uh, they showed that good basketball just does win out because that's what the game is designed for. So there's value there. I understand that people, you know, maybe don't want to acknowledge that or they just don't like seeing it happen over and over again because if, especially if your team is on the receiving end of it. So if you're Boston or if you're the Cavs, who did get did get that one win off of uh, Golden State, but they lost three out of those four finals to them. So if you're the Cavs and you're losing that over and over, I can understand that even more so. But the way I look at it as a fan is here is the method for winning a championship. And every team should be striving to figure out that puzzle. And there's a lot of teams that don't. And that is why Golden State is still where they are. Um, you saw it during, you know, the early, the Lakers three-peat uh, back at the beginning of the 2000s, right? Like that was just an unbeatable system. And somebody had to figure it out sooner or later and that ultimately didn't happen. 
and uh, it was the superstar Lakers that got beat in the finals, and then the team dissolved at that point. Um, and then <clears throat> the torch was passed, excuse me, to the Spurs, who won uh, three out of six titles there, uh, and just showed again that like good basketball is designed to win. And I think we've seen this turn away from, you know, what is actually good winning strategy uh, and a turn more towards like what is entertaining ticket selling strategy. And so if there's this push and pull between the league um, and the, the teams that actually want to win championships. So on the one hand, you have a business that's, you know, rightfully trying to run a business and make their product as profitable and as uh, desirable as possible. And on the other hand, you have uh, franchises that are trying to win this league's most prestigious award in order to vindicate their spending and their coaching and their philosophy and all that. Um, and so I'm going to bring this all the way back to uh, we'll, we'll stop at the Bulls because, you know, there's been plenty of dynasties in the NBA over the last 30 years. Uh, but if you look at what the Bulls did in the early 90s and then again in the late 90s, not only did it solidify like what the pinnacle of basketball was, uh, that then translated to like what the dream team was and it led to NBA's global footprint. Um, but it also made the Bulls uh, the villains to a lot of people outside of uh, Chicago. And when I was talking a little bit about other teams uh, hating to see the same team win over and over again, every good story needs a villain. And, you know, I live in L.A., so the Lakers are not the villain, but to a lot of people, to a lot of fan bases, to a lot of markets, the L.A basketball market is the villain and that's totally understandable and sometimes you just like to cheer against the villain and that's perfectly okay because when you want to see the villain lose you're still gonna watch and so we're gonna move on to the next sport which I'm gonna go to hockey right now uh, and congrats to the Colorado Avalanche for uh, beating the Tampa Bay Lightning. They won that uh, series in six games. And this was a Colorado team that was working uh, to improve for a couple of years, realistically. Uh, and the two prior seasons, Tampa Bay had won the Stanley Cup. And there hasn't been a, a three-peat team, but there's been a couple of back to, I mean, there has been a three-peat team, but it was a while ago. Um, but if you're looking at it, it was Tampa twice, St. Louis got one, Washington, Pittsburgh twice, uh, Kings and Blackhawks split uh, four of them, and Chicago also had won three out of six before that. Uh, but if you want to really go back to maybe Detroit from 97 to 2002, won three championships, so them, Chicago, uh, and then if you go back even further to the, what, 80s? Edmonton won four out of five, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier team. 
Um, so, again, you look at what Colorado did, and not only did they win the title, they got to do it against a team that had won back-to-back championships. So it's not just like, hey, we won the Stanley Cup. It's we beat the best team to win the Stanley Cup. So we are the best team. Like, Tampa Bay didn't lose to somebody else. Tampa Bay didn't get hurt. They were there for the finals to defend their championship, and Colorado's brand of hockey was just better. It was. They were faster. They, I think they beat them 7-0 in the first game of the finals. Uh, so, really, they dominated a, a very, very good Tampa Bay Lightning team that had uh, won 4-2 and 4-1 in their previous Stanley Cups. Um, and you look at, I'll take it back even to 2018 when Washington was able to uh, win the finals against Vegas. Pittsburgh was the defending champions, and they had to, like, get that monkey off their back. Like, Washington had been the number one seed for a long time in the East. Uh, I believe it is the President's Trophy. Um, and they would just always, no matter how good they were during the season, they would always lose in the playoffs. And this happened for, I don't know, like a decade. Um, And Pittsburgh was one of those teams that just stood in their way uh, time and time again. So when they finally won that title in 2018, it's like they vanquished all those demons. And that does a lot for a franchise. And, you know, it was probably the end of their window, realistically. But they were working towards that goal for a long time, and to be able to do it and get it uh, done while that Pittsburgh team was still uh, in the equation and in the East with them, it says a lot. And so to that Washington fan base, those uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, sorry, I think I might have said Steelers earlier, but I've got football on the brain. But sorry, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, were the villain. So for Washington to do what they did that season meant a lot to them, to their fan base, all that. Uh, That championship has value because of the dynasty, basically, that came before it. Um, And Pittsburgh had to wrestle that away from a Blackhawks team. Not literally, because they didn't play them in the finals, but that Blackhawks team had won three championships in six years, so it was like their blueprint for hockey was at the top. And Pittsburgh had to find a way to to get their blueprint to be the best available product, and they got it done. Uh, So I'm going to move on to... I don't know if I want to do football last. I want to compare baseball for a second. I'm going to stop with the dynasties. Well, we're going to talk dynasties still, because that's what this show is about. But what I want to point out is that baseball is probably the least dynasty-based of the sports because of, I would say, the length of the season is incredibly difficult to deal with. The closest thing that we've realistically had is the 1990s era Yankees that won in 96, 98, 99, and then 2000. Uh, That team was ridiculous. And when you really think about it, like that Yankees team was bad for a long time before those mid-90s. They lost, I believe, to Seattle in 95 in the wild card round. And I think I only remember that because I was uh, paying attention. I was watching the Derek Jeter thing on ESPN. Um, But yeah, that Yankees team made them 
you know, the Yankees again. Because for a long time, they were not. I mean, they do have the most, uh, I think, World Series wins in history. And if you go back to the early stages of baseball, it's like they were dynasty, dynasty, dynasty several times. Um, So to get back to the level of play that the franchise and the city and the ownership expects of them and that the league history, you know, expects from them, uh, that meant a lot. And then heading into uh, the 2000 post era after that, the Diamondbacks beat the Yankees in 2001, the next year. Um, so that's three three-time World Series champs in a row go to Game 7, and Arizona finds a way to beat them. Um, and so that series was crazy. Like I remember that series. Uh, and it was a huge deal that they beat the Yankees. Uh, and then... The Yankees get back to the World Series a couple years later, and they lose to Florida. So you can see that like that dynasty was good, but not quite what it was. And then the torch kind of got passed a little bit to the Red Sox. They won one, two, three titles between 2004 and 2013. And then they won another one in 2018. But aside from that, let's see. Braves, Dodgers, Nats, uh, Astros, Cubs, Giants, Cardinals... Uh, Phillies, Cardinals again, and uh, it was the Giants, actually. So they won in 2012, 2014, and 2010. So that's the most recent, like, baseball dynasty. But there's a bigger churn uh, at the Major League Baseball level just because it's it's such a grueling season to be able to get back there and do that, um, to do what the Yankees did and win back-to-back titles uh, since they did it. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, at the end of the 1990s, no team has won back-to-back titles. Where uh, in, I think, every other major sport, uh, we covered basketball, definitely back-to-back titles since then. Um, hockey, definitely back-to-back titles since then. And if you look at football since 2000, definitely back-to-back titles uh, in that sport as well. So... It says, a, it says even more about the value of a dynasty in baseball and what that means to the sport um, in terms of where the bar for excellence is set. And, I mean, they made a movie out of what Boston did uh, with their strategy, right? Moneyball. They made an entire film out of, out of that because it was so revolutionary and it changed the way the game was played. Uh, or it changed the way that the, uh, the game was bought, I should say. But... Nonetheless, I said the magic word football, so we're going to move on to football. And I don't even think any other dynasty is worth talking about. You could go back to the 90s and say the Broncos won a couple back-to-back, the Cowboys, then the 49ers before that. But realistically, all those dynasties can't really hold a torch to the freaking New England Patriots. They won in 2002. 2004, 2005. Then they took a little bit of a hiatus. They took 10 years off, let some people breathe, but they still got three in that decade, which uh, is more than any other team in that decade. And then they started again, and they won in 2015, they won in 2017, they won in 2019. And then Tom Brady, you know, goes on his retirement leg of his journey and goes down to Tampa and wins another one. So, I mean... That's the Bucks, but that is like a half count that for New England. Um, but as a football fan, 
uh, and especially as a Bills fan, being in that shadow for two decades sucked. It sucked so bad. But also as a Bills fan, I'm watching what the Patriots are doing every season and being, being like, why can we not just look at what they're doing and just try and replicate that? Like, consistent coaching, good quarterback play, uh, defense. Like, I couldn't figure out why it was so hard for the Bills to, like, find an identity, right? You know, you had 20 years, basically, to watch this team just run rough shot over your division uh, and couldn't figure it out. Um, but as soon as Brady left New England, it was like, all right, well, the dynasty is over. Like, the New England dynasty is done. Unfortunately, he goes and wins the one with Tampa Bay, so it's like he's doing it again, uh, and he can't just leave us alone, but here we are. And Tom Brady is knocking on the door of yet another championship. If Tampa wins, I wouldn't say it's a dynasty yet, but the fear of what Tom Brady has done in his career dynasty-wise uh, makes that Tampa Bay team a real threat. But what I was going to say is that it essentially made the Patriots uh, the villain for the whole NFL. Like, they had just dominated for so long, won so many championships. What, did they win seven and ten tries in 20 years? Uh, so half the time, they're in the Super Bowl. And then almost half the time, they're winning the Super Bowl. So everybody hated New England. So the Tom Brady uh, departure from the Patriots sent shockwaves through the NFL and through the fan base. Like, it was such a big deal. Um, and again, I want to say that there's value there. Uh, when big superstar players on superstar teams leave, like, imagine if Steph Curry left the Warriors, right? Like, that would be massive. That would be massive. In baseball, like, eh, free agents are flying all over the place, so not really that big of a deal. And you don't really get the kind of generational star that Steph Curry is uh, very often either. Um, so that's why the Patriots uh, dynasty coming to an end was such a big deal. It's great for me as a Bills fan because I don't have to worry really about them winning the Super Bowl right now. Uh, I don't really have to worry about them winning the division right now. I still think, you know, they're not bad, but whatever. That's a conversation for another time. I'm going to go to one more sport that I like. Uh, we are at about half an hour here. I'm not going to go on too long today. I just wanted to come back and uh, get into this a little bit. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this full circle, and we're going to go to uh, UFC champions. So the five longest reigning UFC champions are John Jones, uh, Jose Aldo, George St. Pierre, Demetrius Johnson and Anderson Silva. Now, every single one of those guys is a legend. And I think with something like combat sports, like, you know, you're fighting as a champion maybe once or twice a year. So your your reign is extended. But when you think of, uh, we're just going to use Anderson as an example because he's uh, at the top of the food chain in terms of his, the length of his title reign. Um, he was the champion for uh, almost seven years. And that's ridiculous. For seven years, he's the best fighter in his weight class. Uh, George St. Pierre, Demetrius Johnson are right behind him in the six plus year range, I think. They're pretty close to it. Uh, 
But what that does is that solidifies the championship level as something that's not attainable for everybody. And by doing so, it makes the moments uh, where we'll call it the, uh, the torch passing moment, right? Anderson Silva gets knocked out by Chris Weidman. Demetrius Johnson loses to Henry Cejudo in a close decision, so not that monumental. Uh, GSP had a fight where he almost lost but didn't quite lose, but it kind of signaled that uh, maybe his career is at the, the tail end of that run. Uh, Jose Aldo getting knocked out by Conor McGregor. And then John Jones, who, you know, did it to himself with the drugs, uh, but... At the end of the day, you know who John Jones is as a fighter. He's a guy whose name is going to go down as one of the very best fighters of all time, and so are the other five guys on this, or the other four guys on this list. Um, but it makes those moments in history where the title changes hands more significant. And uh, when the title is just changing hands pretty regularly, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I mean, for the fighters, it's still a big accomplishment to win the title, but all the all the champions have said in some form or another that like winning it is the easier part of the journey, but keeping it is much harder because you work your whole career to get to that level, to get to the championship level, to prove that you are the best, that on that night, you're the best fighter in the world. Uh, but then you got to do it again. You got to do it again and again and again and again to prove that you're the best. And finding that fire isn't easy. And it makes what Alexander Volkanovsky did to Max Holloway, uh, I don't know, a month ago, a couple weeks ago, incredibly impressive. Uh, he had already beaten Max twice in two really close fights. A lot of people thought Max won the second one. But Volkanovsky came out and uh, dominated for all five rounds. It wasn't even a contest, really. Um, so to see that... A guy like Volkanovsky, who had that torch passed to him, went, or he took the torch when he beat Max the first time, and then to know the level of fighter that Max is, and that Max has beaten all the other top contenders and got back for a second title fight, and then a third title fight, and was just vanquished again, like that, that speaks volumes of the level that Alexander Volkanovsky is currently fighting at. And I think combat sports are uh, a particularly acute way of looking at the equation of dynasties because it's not like there's a new one every year at least not in the UFC uh, it's not like a new champion is crowned I mean PFL does its own thing that's good for them but they're not the premier brand in the space um, but if you want to look at uh, combat sports as well look at boxing right um, Floyd Mayweather being undefeated uh at I think 49, 50, you know, whatever, uh, it made people want to see him lose. I would say at least half of the pay-per-view buys that Floyd generated were people that wanted to see him lose, you know? And he was very well aware of this brand and he made it his brand. Uh, and he became very protective of that undefeated streak. Um, so maybe we didn't see some of the fights out of him that we wanted to see towards the end of his career. But, you know, he doesn't have to give anybody an unwarranted payday for no reason. And like I said, every story needs a good villain. 
But I think equally as important to that is that, at least for me, I like underdogs. You know, it's a weird position for me to be in as a Bills fan that they're the favorites all of a sudden. Um, because I'm looking for, like, another underdog to want to cheer for. And it's not that I'm not going to cheer for the Bills. It's not that I don't want them to win. It's just that me naturally, like, the guy who is the dominator all the time, like, that's the bully. Like, you want the the underdog to get his licks in, too. So it's a, it's a weird position. But when there's one dynasty, when there's one team, one franchise that's in control of the destiny of the whole sport, it matters a lot when David comes along and slays Goliath. And it also says a lot about Goliath when he gets back up and wrestles control of all that shit away from everybody else again, that another David has to rise up and get that sling ready. But anyway, I see dynasties as an essential part of sports because you have to have those moments where the championship is legitimized by trial by fire, essentially. And if every single team just took turns winning the title, it's like, all right, the fan base will be happy. You can sell championship merch and all that, but it dilutes the quality of what that title stands for. And I think combat sports definitely have that mostly in their favor. They have the sharpest outlines of that because of those extended title reigns of five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, it's it's not easy to do that. It's damn near impossible. Uh, it's super difficult in team building and franchise building as well to do that, but you're not seeing a team win uh, the championship in their sport six times in a row. And similar to baseball, it's hard to do it because there's so many games. It's probably, if you're the best fighter in the world, it's probably easier to defend your championship more times in a row than it is for uh, the best basketball, football, baseball team to win back-to-back -back titles because there's a whole season you got to go through and all that. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have that much more to say. I wanted to come in here and just get an episode in. Um, you know, it's been a while. I'm trying to get Eric McGracken on here to talk uh, UFC, mostly mostly MMA stuff. Uh, he is a combat sports attorney from Canada. I'm going to get him on here. I'm going to keep bugging him on Twitter until he comes on the show. And we're going to talk about the future of combat sports. So look forward to that. I'm going to make it happen. There's a new service also that seems to be geared towards helping me get the right kind of guests for this show so i think we're gonna have some good things in store coming up um sorry it's been a layoff if you like this show i'm sorry that i've taken a couple of weeks off probably even longer than that but i have been uh, a guest host or a guest in general on some other podcasts which is why i've been a little bit off of my schedule here um I got into the Scott Fishbowl. Woohoo, thanks, Scott. Um, we had our draft. I got some guys from our league that are going to come in here, <clears throat> excuse me, and we're going to talk 
Scott Fishbowl. We're going to talk about our email draft and what that's like. Um, it's going to be good, uh, but we got one guy in Australia that we got to coordinate with, so it's probably going to be next week. But yeah, I've been guesting as a, a speaker slash analyst slash dumbass on uh, other people's football-related podcasts. So I might even uh, get the content creators guys in here one at a time as we approach football season. I know September 8th is kickoff. So I got to start stepping up the pacing on that and see who wants to come on the show. Um, but I'm getting sidetracked. I got to go make dinner and go shopping. So thank you everybody for listening. I meant to bring my brother Chris Vanger back to talk all-star baseball, but uh, that just didn't happen. Uh, he's busy with some new assignments at work, so... Unfortunately, it didn't happen, but I promised him I would, so we'll find a time to get him in here. If you're a fan of Welcome to Vangerville, uh, we'll get him back. So, anyway, thank you, everybody, for your time. I seriously appreciate it. There's so many options when it comes to uh, how you can get your entertainment, uh, how you can get your podcast entertainment. Uh, if you're listening to this show, you know, it means a lot to me, so just know that thank you so much uh and i'll talk to you next time thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode i still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help so if you enjoyed it please tell somebody but liking subscribing and sharing go a long way too this show is an extension of the and you can contact me at info at the or at shiest podcast on twitter and until next time take care and be well